we are going to share a word based on what impacted us in Turkey. Uh, so today is July 5th, and the title of this message is www.turkeystones.kingdom. So open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 34. getting there. I want to talk to you tonight about the need for adversity in our life. Contrary to popular belief, it's actually good for us. Let's pick up in verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then I said, I will give it to you and your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Let's jump to verse 8. Moses has passed away. This is the response of the people. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Moses didn't get to cross over, but God let him raise up someone who would. And it was by his hands that Joshua received the spirit of wisdom. Let's pick up in verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt. uh, To Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Someone say Moses was a boss. Moses was a boss. And Moses raised up a man named Joshua. And the the Israelites are mourning because their great leader is gone. What do they do? Someone has to carry on what he started. And luckily, he was a man of God who raised up disciples. Let's turn the page. Go to Joshua 1. This is the man who received the spirit of wisdom from Moses. Let's pick up in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. And if you're a part of our foundation studies, we learn that that word is actually minister let that sink in verse 2 Moses my servant is dead now then that was quick (laughs) you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites let's jump to verse 6 so he has a, a commission and this is what God tells him Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. You see, God's promise to the Israelites wasn't going anywhere, whether Moses died or he lived forever. Moses raised up someone who would carry it out 
And I just want to take some liberty to uh, honor my pastors because they took a, uh, a scared young man who had his own plans and he did really, really well at his own plans and he thought he was something. But then he got around men of God and he was reduced to a child. But they took a hard-hearted child and they said, you know what? You don't see what I see in you and I know you're better than what you are telling yourself you are, which is kind of hard to say to the prideful person. So they took a young man who scurried into the church, and he says, you know what? I'm going to teach you something. I want you to stand next to me, and I'm going to show you how to lead people into God's presence. And then he passed it off, and he says, I want you to stand where I stand and go further than I could have ever imagined. When Moses died, he got to stand on Mount Nebo and look at everything, all the things that were promised to him that he wouldn't get to enjoy. But he knew his disciples would. And in the name of Jesus, our pastors will get to see their disciples go farther than anything they could have imagined. So let's look at what Jesus said about this in John 14. Our great model, our Savior. And he said something pretty difficult. Slide down to verse 12. It says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus said we would do greater things. We will do greater things. That is a promise. So I want to talk about uh, promises and the adversity that accompanies them. See, I want to I want to steer some thinking uh, of some things the Lord had been showing me uh, that kind of birthed out of the foundation studies. With people always want to fight against something, they they may hate each other. Two enemies, Herod and Pilate, hate each other, but they hate Jesus more. So they join together to fight against. And this is what the Lord was showing me: when there is a promise. I don't need to fight for it because it doesn't depend on my strength anyways. I'll hurt myself. But what I can do is because God has given a promise, I can fight because of that promise. And a man of righteousness will always fight because of a promise because he already knows that he can't fight for it on his own strength. The man of God was always meant to be weak but filled by a powerful God. So uh, we went to Turkey, six men. Elder Baj, Gabe, Pastor Eric, my brother Nick, brother Judah. And uh, all we know is God is going to bring salvation to the nations, and he's called us to do it. That's immovable. Now, our, what follows is our obedience. But it's not easy all the time, is it, Nick? Is it easy, Jude? No. So I want to share some uh, personal family things. Uh, the day we left... Uh, Sam had a miscarriage, uh, and then her, her husband is flying on the other side of the world. Uh, Pastor Eric uh, and his wife, miscarriage. But do the promises change? No. no. Brother Judah, he's got a baby on the way, and his wife needs him. But he's going to the, one of the most dangerous places 
in the world. He's actually going to stand in the place where Satan has set up his throne, and he's got this child. It's serious stuff. But we don't wimp out because it's uh, tough or because it's convenient. We fight because God has given us a promise, and we will fight because of it. Um, and with that, we have an elder with us, and Elder Bosch just always brings light to the situation. Amen. Uh, he joined us the second week, and man, things took off. Uh, it was, the anointing was there, but there's just something uh, about him that, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know, then you need to repent and go spend some time with your elder. Uh, and I can say the same about Elder Steve and Elder Charlie, Amen. mighty men of God. So we were fighting these battles, and uh, I was thinking about what kind of adversity uh, or what man of God ever succeeded without it. I, I can't think of one. Uh, let's turn to Nehemiah 9. Uh, and once you get there, go back to Ezra 9. So just a little bit of context. Uh, Ezra has led the exiles out of captivity back to Jerusalem to begin building the temple. But when he gets to Jerusalem after the journey, he finds out that the Israelites have intermarried with foreign nations, women and children. And God said not to do that. And when God says not to do something, what do we do? Oh, come on. You guys know better than that. If God says don't do something, what do you do? Don't do it. Amen. And so, man of God, Ezra, he goes to make things right. And against what would be an easier decision just to let sin brood with them, he says, no, we need to make it right. And he, he's crying out to the Lord. And I want to read a little bit of what his repentance sounded like. Ezra 9, let's start in verse 10. But now, O oh oh our God, what can we say after this? For we have disregarded the commands you get, uh, disregarded the commands you gave through your servant, the prophets, when you said, "The land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples. By their detestable practices, they have filled it with their impurity <clears throat> from one end to the other. Therefore, do not give your daughters in marriage." To their sons, or take uh, their daughters for your sons. Let's jump down uh, to uh, verse 14. Shall we be, again break your commands and intermarry, intermarry with the peoples who commit such detestable practices? Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us, leaving us no remnant or survivor? O Lord, God of Israel, you are righteous. We left this day as a we are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. Wow. It's, a, it's a large piece of scripture, but listen to how honest he is. Oh, we did it wrong. I messed up. And I'm going to make it right because you said it. You know, there's something about a man of God who's anchored to a promise. You can put all the weight of the world on him. And he only gets closer to the source that he was embedded his roots into. And when a man of God is anchored to a promise, he can't be ripped from it because it's immovable. 
So let's pick up in Psalm 119. And then once you get there, go to verse 65. You guys are quick. Working on it. I like the adversity of having one hand. So verse 65. Do good to your servant according to your word, O Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. What's that say about your situation? Are you going astray and you realize that your life is easy? Or maybe you don't realize you're going astray and you're fighting to make your life easy. But the word is consistent on this. If we are not under pressure and we're not constantly having to fight because of the promises, Satan has free range with your life. We have to embrace the adversity that God puts on us, even if it's the result of sin. Let's go to Judges 2 and examine this point for a moment. Amen. Slide down to verse 20. We'll begin reading. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua uh, left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. Then the Lord had allowed, uh, then the Lord had, the Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once uh, by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Chapter 3. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. Check this out. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not previously uh, had battle experience. See, even if it's the consequence of sin, God will put adversity in your life to teach you how to fight for the promises. And so this is really simple, and we hear sermons over and over and over again about Struggle is good. Endure hardships. Endure discipline. But rarely do we wake up every morning with the attitude that says, God, I welcome the adversity you've given me because I know what it will produce is a righteous man. Let's look at what a righteous man produces. Let's go to Isaiah 32. Pastor Eric shared this. At the beginning, and I'm going to share it again. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, can I say I need my brothers? And they've proven to me that they need me. They're pretty persuasive. 
Let's read verse 17. The fruit of righteousness will be peace or shalom. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. The man who is not moved from the promise of God will always bring peace with him in the presence of God. And the effect that will have not only on the man, but on the people that he's leading will be quietness and confidence. And if you can say in your life, if you cleaned yourself to these pastors and these elders, has it not produced peace in your life? Has it not produced quietness and confidence? If, if I could ask my pastor transparently, if they like dealing with issues after the fact or before, I think they would say before. So we seek them for counsel so that it produces peace, confidence, quietness in us. We can't just use them as a, a cleanup crew for our bad mistakes. Amen. God will put adversity in your life. God will put adversity in your life because he knows you need it. But don't just welcome it. Don't be stupid. Let's go to 1 Corinthians one twenty six. The word of God is funny sometimes. I feel like it's talking about me. So let's pick up in uh, 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were uh, influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Isn't it funny that God would call us to do something amazing? Uh, it blows my mind that he would call me to go share the gospel in Turkey. It should blow your mind that he would call Brent Vincent to go to Indonesia. It should really blow your mind that he called pastors from Louisiana and all over the U.S. to pastor you. And I can say that because that's what they told me. Of course, I don't believe it because they're men that are regenerated. And they're men that have anchored themselves to a promise that's immovable. And they themselves are immovable. And they're teaching us how to fight because of a promise. Who wants to fight because of a promise? So we need adversity. We need pastors. We need the Holy Spirit. So on that, let's go to Ephesians 3. Paul is a great example of a man who under, uh, went through all kinds of adversity. He was imprisoned. He was beat. He, uh, he never got a break. It's not like he would uh, go into a city and people were like, yes, teach us. And even if it's controversial, we'll accept it because we trust you. Uh, no, he was persecuted at every corner. I think he even described this as a thorn in his side. If you uh, 
get on the sermon app, there's a sermon called Paul's Thorn and Grace. And if you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Uh, it's very likely we solved the mystery of what the thorn was. And Paul teaches us what adversity produces. Produces the building that you're standing in. We wouldn't have a, a model of a church. Uh, we wouldn't have the globalization of, uh, of the gospel or the, uh, the sending out of Christian missionaries if Paul just gave up and let the churches die. If he didn't write these letters in a prison cell, instead of, you know, he could have just moped. He could have, you know, I'm in prison. I, you know, I kind of had my glory days, but I'm giving up. No, he says, I'm anchored to a promise and I know how to fight because of it. Even if I'm in a prison cell, I'm going to write until my hands go numb or until my, my eyes go bad. And then I'll just have someone write it for me. And this is what he wrote. Let's go to verse 10 of chapter 3. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Christ Jesus, our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach, approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are my glory. If you ask someone not to be discouraged, aren't you kind of saying that it's likely that they're going to? Maybe there's an upcoming situation or a difficult time that's going to try to shrink their faith. But any man who's gone through it knows what kind of warning to give them. And he tells the church, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings. It's kind of like uh, the, the story of Elder Charlie teaching Pastor Eric, you know, don't, don't swing that way. Don't, if it's a hammer, you know, don't swing that way because I did it wrong for a couple years and now it hurt me. I don't want the same for you. And discipleship should always look like... Uh, one man raising up another to go further. Amen. If it's parallel, it's done wrong. And if it diminishes, God help us. Yes. <clears throat> so Nick's going to share. And uh, I hope these scriptures have prepared your heart uh, to learn how to fight because of a promise. Yeah, and too, much, too long have we tried to fight for it. If I need to do something, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study harder. I'm going to work out more. I'm going to... Uh, be more aggressive. The man of God always fights better from a position of weakness. You've seen it done. I saw it done in Turkey. Five men I was with fighting from a place of weakness. And it's funny. They were weak, but they made me stronger. And uh, one thing I, I learned on the trip was if I ever got knocked out in a fight, they're not going to stop swinging. Because it's not dependent on me throwing punches. I mean, I'm helping them. But if I ever go down, the mission and the call doesn't go down. But we're going to rise up. We're going to accomplish amazing things because of the promises of God. Amen. 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 Let me tell you something. The devil tried to knock Peyton down on this trip. The devil did everything that he could to try to knock down our brother. We were there for two weeks. The entire first week that we were in Turkey, Peyton was as sick as a dog. Yeah. I mean, still went everywhere that we went, did everything that we did, was a spiritual stallion everywhere that we were, and was as sick as I've seen almost anybody. But 
that also, after this trip, made him qualified to say the things that he's saying. Yeah. I mean, it, that, that qualifies that man's word more than, any, more than anything that I can think of. I needed to hear a word like that. I needed to hear a word that challenges me to wake up in the morning, say I need adversity in my life, and Jesus, I even welcome it into my life, and I want it because I know that I'm advantaged through it. Amen. That, that is gold right there. If all you got from tonight was that, then we would be rich men. But we believe that there's a little bit more that the Lord has for us tonight. Turn over to Deuteronomy 32 with us. While you're turning, I want to explain this title to you guys, www.turkeystones.kingdom. We've got three W's here. We've got warfare, we've got world, and we've got walk. You're going to hear components of warfare, components of world, and components of a walk with Jesus Christ all throughout this message. So we've got www.turkeystones. These are some of the main impactful points that we came back from from this trip in Turkey. There's some of the main stones that we brought back from that country for you guys. Amen. So we've got some turkey stones, dot kingdom. We're, we're seeing the beginnings of the kingdom of God breaking out in an area where it is not breaking out currently. www.turkeystones.kingdom. Explained? Yes. Amen. Deuteronomy 32. You know, Judah's, Judah's got an incredible clothes cooking up for us. Uh, I, 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 am, I am so excited. So excited to see what he's got. It, it, it's, it's right for this body. Give us a couple minutes here. We'll get right to it. Deuteronomy 32, 1. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and the words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. Guys, the words that the Lord are about, is about to speak right here, they're, they're like the best dew, the best rain on some dry ground that you have ever experienced. What's about to come right here is so important to us that we would be foolish to just tune out. It, it, it's... Rain and dew like showers on new grass and abundant rain on tender plants. How's your heart this morning? Is it like the new grass? Is it like a tender plant? We're about to find out about how this word hits it. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Yeah. Speaking of Peyton, we're in, we're in Peyton's chapter right here, guys. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Amen. Upright and just as he. Yeah, the amount of times ever since we started really driving this verse in this body, the amount of times that it has saved my life, uh, it, it's, it's multiple, it's many at this point. Because our God does no wrong. Amen. There's nothing that can happen in your life, nothing that can come against you that was wrong on God's part for him letting it happen. Absolutely zero. Guys, keep that in the forefront of your mind. So, uh, in the midst of this season and so many things happening, nothing that God does or lets happen in your life can ever be wrong. Period. He is perfect, and all, everyone outside of him are not. 
2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to tell you that it tells us it's an admonition to aim for perfection. Guys, if he's perfect and we're aiming for perfection, that is him, what daily actions in our own lives are not aimed at him and his perfection? It's really worth thinking about. What daily actions, what, what just day-to-day tasks do we have that are not physically aiming at the perfection of Christ? Think about that as we go, as we go on from Deuteronomy. It's important that what we're doing on a day-to-day basis is aiming toward the Lord's perfection. Amen. Everything. Verse 5, they have acted corruptly toward him. To their shame, they are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. How, how do you get warped and crooked in here? Sin. Uh, I'm going to make the argument to you tonight that a warped and crooked generation only gets that way by letting the world in to a godly life. A warped and crooked generation means that your life was straight at one point. You were on the straight and narrow. You were going on the right path. But for some reason, something warped it. Something made it crooked. I'm I'm going to tell you guys tonight that the world, its desires, everything about it, it's passing away. But it has a way of warping and making a Christian crooked just, just if you live your life in a normal way. It has a way of grabbing what was straight and warping it, turning it to the side, make, making it not, not straight the way that it needs to be any longer. Guys, we, we hear all the time about a high that we get on a mission trip. We hear all the time, uh, many of you have experienced the high that we had on the men's reload just a few weeks ago. Guys, if, if you could judge yourself today and think how you feel today, um, as opposed to three weeks ago or, or however long it was at the reload, how do, you, how do you judge yourself? Are you on that same kind of high? When you go on a mission trip, if you go to Turkey, if you go to Peru, if you go to these places, when you go, the amazing thing is, is that you don't bring the world with you. When you go to a men's reload, you don't bring the world with you. There's nothing of the world that you brought. You brought your Bible. You brought a, a couple of change of clothes. You brought some toiletries. And you had amazing fellowship and you did the will of God. But when you went back, did you reinsert the world back into your life? Because that is the very thing that makes that all wash away. It's the very thing that makes it all just go away. You have that high and it just slowly fades because more and more and more of the world is being let in. Guys, we have to battle against this on a daily basis. How many times can you think about Jesus talking about the world, its desires, passing away, the wickedness of the world, separate yourself? Uh, So many times throughout the word, we can't even cover them tonight. Let's go to Isaiah 12. One of the things that we're, we're going to focus on a little bit tonight is this, this worldly aspect that just seems to creep its way back into your life over and over. This worldly aspect that just seems to get in there, a, a worldly aspiration, a worldly desire, something in the world that entices you and makes your walk crooked. 
We're going we're gonna to camp on that for just a little bit. Verse 1 in Isaiah chapter 12. In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Guys, this is it's such a beautiful verse. If we take it in, a, in a, a different way tonight, if any of you feel like the Lord is angry with you in some way, I, I don't want to say that he is. I don't want to say that he isn't. I do want to tell you, though, that according to this verse, not trusting in him, but trusting in the world's counsel will provoke the Lord's anger. That not finding yourself on the straight path, but finding yourself warped by the world and its desires, you'll find yourself in the anger of God if you're not careful. It's, it's a dangerous place to be. It's a scary place to be. If you find your strength in your veg out time at home instead of in the presence of God, you might find yourself in the anger of God and not know how you got there. If your song that Isaiah 12, 2 is talking about, if it talks about, the sh if it comes from the show that you watched yesterday, you might slowly find yourself in the anger of God. It's time to purify the Amen. world from our midst. Amen. It's time to purify the world from this body. We have young men and women in here who need a godly example of what it looks like to live a pure life, pure from the world, spotless from the world, not getting entangled in the aspirations of the world. Amen. Because they're, they're like tender, tender olive shoots. When they're still in your home, they're able to be molded at that point. Amen. Guys, don't wait until they're out. Yes. Don't wait until it's too late to start really pressing the word of God into them, really showing them what it looks like to lead a pure life that is free from the concerns of the world. Amen. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call in his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Guys, we can have this. Amen. That joy of continual waters of salvation washing over us, that day proclaiming his name should be today. Yeah. The way that we get the waters of salvation washing over us is the way that we go out and we proclaim his name, just like Deuteronomy 32 talked about, just like we sang this uh, tonight before we got up to preach the word, proclaiming the name of the Lord and going after it allows his salvation to wash over you day after day after day, allows that separation from the world that you need and allows that high, that spiritual high that you crave, that we come in here and we worship to get. Guys, when you go after it and when you proclaim the greatness of your God, that will wash over you. Amen. You will drink from that well of salvation daily. Cesar, yes. yes. we talked about him on Sunday. He's, he's the, the one man that we met in Pazar when we got there, the one place that we had a word about, the, the one scripture that we had, the two scriptures that we had. We went there, we met Cesar. Two scriptures and one small direction later, we're meeting men of peace, and the Lord is changing lives. Yes. Yeah. 
We entered Turkey as poor men, but we exited Turkey as rich men. We had almost nothing, but the Lord allowed us to drink from the wells and the waters of salvation. Because, one, we proclaimed the name of the Lord unashamedly. And two, we went after it wherever we went. Didn't matter where we were. We did not bring the world with us. We left the world where the world is, and we brought the power of God with us. That was the one distinguishing factor. It, it wasn't that, uh, it wasn't ever a matter of food and drink, what we did or did not participate in. Guys, that's rubbish. That, that, that's trash. Leave those kind of arguments out of the word of God. The power came because they saw that there was no world in us. They saw that there was a separation between the world and the holiness of God and that that holiness was dwelling inside of six men that came to visit them. When the world sees that and sees that kind of difference, powerful things begin to happen. Let's turn to 1 Chronicles 16. Amen. We're going to start in verse 23 here. Amen. 23 says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Let that be your admonition tonight. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Do you need any more encouragement? Come on, body. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. What this verse speaks to us is that more mixing with the world means less of a fear of the Lord. When you have more of a mix with the world, you have less of a fear of the Lord. You can see how this might battle with your soul. You can see how you might get in trouble If you find yourself in this place, look, when you love and spend time in the world and its vices, are you not participating in its gods? Haven't we learned this before, church? That when we participate in the vices of the world, we also participate in idol worship? That everything, every temptation, everything that is trying to tug at you from the world, there is some spiritual principality or demonic power behind that sin. That's what idol worship is all about. It's not putting a little Buddha statue in your, in your uh, room and bowing down to it. Idol worship is so much more than that. Can you really invest in sports or dance or even entertainment and really think the gods of this world aren't stealing from you and your family? Can you? Can you make that kind of investment? Because I guarantee you that they are. I guarantee you that the youth, the young men and young women in this church, they're being stolen from because the world has a way of creeping in. It's time to purify. It's time to separate. It's time for, for the sons of God to really be separate from the rest of the world. Verse 27. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord 
in the splendor of his holiness. This is one of Treaster's favorite verses, and I love it, too. The word ascribe, it, ascribe is an amazing word, but the way that I like to think about it is the word provide. It's a direct synonym to ascribe. If you realize that the Lord has provided everything good in your life, everything good that ever came into your life was already provided for by the Lord, and everything good that will come into your life is provided for by the Lord. You think about that for a second, then we find out in this verse what we're supposed to provide back to him for everything that he's given us. Guys, look at this. He provides everything, and what he's asking you to provide back to him, glory. Guys, be strong and courageous. Strength and offering. What are we supposed to offer? Our very lives. We provide our lives back to him. It's exactly what uh, Pastor Eric was talking to us on Monday night about. Your presence before him is something that you're supposed to provide back to the Lord. And lastly, your worship. Your worship is supposed to be ascribed back to God. Guys, for those things, he gives you everything good. For those things, he allows you to drink from the wells of salvation day to day. For those things, he blesses your family richly and gives you promises and direction and a future. That is incredible. Guys, we, we must ascribe back to the Lord what he desires. Amen. Let's turn over to Psalm 40. Get it. Verse 7 says, Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. Do not seal my lips, as you know, O oh Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. It sounds like David is going after it in these verses. He's proclaiming the greatness of his God everywhere that he's going, and he's going after it. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. This is a picture of David figuring out that in this moment, the world's getting the best of him. In this moment, the world is, is crashing into him. The world is trying to battle with that straight and narrow and curve it just a little bit. And he's battling with it in his heart, and he's trying to battle with it in the physical too. He's saying, I'm going to go proclaim the name of the Lord. I'm going to go to the great assembly and speak about the goodness of my God. And I'm just going to go after it. Can I tell you that there is revelation in the going, guys? Yeah. There's revelation in the going. There's a lot of people in this room that are waiting for the Lord to speak about a function, waiting for the Lord to speak about a spouse, waiting for the Lord to speak about a future. Guys, the revelation happens in the going. Can I tell you a secret? The, the Old Testament verses that we just went over, in that order, every one of them, they are Peyton's function in the kingdom to proclaim the name of the Lord and to go after it. That's my brother's function. Guess what? I didn't know that when the Lord gave me these verses. I had no idea, but these verses in the exact order are what the Lord gave Peyton long ago 
about what he was called to do. You know when the Lord first gave me these verses? We were sitting in Turkey. Peyton was there. He was getting after it. He was going for it. He was proclaiming the name of the Lord. But he needed some further revelation about his function. He needed some further revelation about his spot on the ministry team. Guys, when he went after it and when he proclaimed fearlessly God's name, God swooped in and gave him the revelation that he needed. Who needs a word like that tonight? Guys, it's time to go after it and get the revelation that you need. There's no revelation when you just sit. There's no revelation when you soak in these seats and do nothing with what you're given. There's no revelation there. I was talking with Peyton on the way here. We were riding over here together before worship practice, and we were just praying and crying out to the Lord, Lord, please, after we speak a word like this, do not let us be disqualified from the prize. It's exactly what Paul uh, talked about. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27. Guys, it's exactly the same thing. So much revelation, so much wisdom coming from these pulpits, coming from these pastors' homes, coming from your homes. So much accountability. What are you going to do with it? It's time to go after it. It's time to boldly proclaim the name of the Lord, whether you're in Turkey, whether you're in the United States, or wherever you find the Lord planting you. It does not matter. That's where the revelation is. Do you guys remember Eric's prophecy today in the service? There was Mr. Charlie with a a prophecy in tongues and Eric with the interpretation. The interpretation, a little part of it said, step into me to get what I have waiting for you. Do you remember that? The Holy Spirit was preaching the message before we we even hit this place. Step into me to get the revelation that you need. Take that in. Let it soak. Let it soak into your soul. It doesn't matter if you're a young adult, if you're a single, if you're married. It doesn't matter in what stage of life you're in. You need that kind of revelation. Amen. You need that kind of word. Let's go over to James 1. The revelation is in the going, guys. Like we said earlier, we were, we were poor men when we left. We were rich men coming out of Turkey. Rich men. Verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. I need this almost on a daily basis. Almost on an hourly basis. If I'm honest with myself, it's probably... More like less than an hourly basis. But if the word is true, and we consider ourselves on fire Christians, ready to do something for the Lord, and we're not keeping a tight rein on our tongue, then we're deceived. How do you take correction? How do you take rebuke? How do you respond when something's not going your way? How do you respond with adversity in your life, however it looks like? How do you respond when you're sick? Is that tongue still tightly shut up? Is the shalom of God descending on you because of your righteousness that the Lord is giving you? Is he giving you a quietness of spirit like we read about in Isaiah 32? Or is your tongue just a little bit too loose? 
Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, when we didn't bring any of the world with us, the distinction and the power of God was there with us wherever we were. In a city of 20,000, in a city of 20 million, which is Istanbul, it didn't matter where we were. The power of God was with us because the separation between the world and the holiness of God was there and alive and real. For our young men and women in here, I want to tell you that I, I have a burden for you tonight, that there was prayer all throughout today, tonight, for our young men and our young women and mixing with the world. God does not accept religion as pure and faultless when you're dwelling on worldly goals, worldly desires, and worldly affirmations. Get the shows, get the audio, and get the hip clothes out of your life. Amen. Get the world out of your life. Amen. Do not let it stay. Uh, this it could not be any more serious, guys. Get unmixed. If you find yourself mixed tonight in some way, there's something that is getting mixed into your purity. That pure oil that Chris prophesied, guys, it couldn't, it couldn't be any more on. Examine the purity of your oil tonight was what the Lord said. That's what we need to do tonight. Are we mixed with the world or not? Are we able to have that right view of ourselves or not? Is the word judging our heart rightly or not? Are we seeing what we do on a daily basis rightly or not, guys? Where are our aspirations? Where do they lie tonight? Parents, you want to raise up godly children, then you need to examine yours just the same. Matthew 10. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Guys, Titus 1.16 tells us that we can claim to know God, but actually deny him by our actions. It's not just about an acknowledgement. It's not just about a disown or I say I'm a Christian. Titus 1.16 says our very actions proclaim if we disown or acknowledge Christ in our own lives. It goes on to, to talk about the word and the gospel being a sword that we wield, a sword in our hand. I want to ask you tonight, has your sword gotten just a little bit dull? Examine your life tonight. See if the sword of the gospel is as sharp as it once was or as sharp as it should be. Amen. Because this verse says that many, not just a little bit, but many will be judged and cut by the sword of the gospel. It will create much division in your own life. Are you still experiencing division because of the truth of the gospel tonight? Is it still very much a part of your life? Is it still very much cutting 
between those who are just playing around and those who are real? Those who are real about separating themselves from the world? Is that real for you tonight? Is it time to sharpen your sword just a little bit tonight? Amen. The gospel is sharp, guys. It cuts, it hurts, it separates. Revelation 14. I want to tell you as we're turning there that Eric, Matt, and Wade brought an incredible word on Monday in Foundations. I've been taking an inventory of my life to see what I have been taking back. You see, when I came to Christ, I gave him all. But slowly the world has had an adverse effect on my walk. Slowly but surely, I've been trying to take back things that I already told the Lord that I gave him. How are we doing with that tonight? Have you been giving those things back to the Lord in the past 48 hours? Or was it just a word on a Monday night that you'll be judged for later? Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Guys, the exciting part about this verse is we're about to find out what the eternal gospel really is. One of the angels is about to proclaim it to us. You ready? He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The eternal gospel is sharp. It tells us, look, you're going to fear God. You need to fear God. You need to give him the glory that is due his name. Judgment is coming. That's the sharp gospel truth, guys. You want to get your sword sharp again? Then start talking about this kind of gospel in your conversations throughout the day. Sharpen that sword once more. These are the kind of things that an angel of God said was the eternal gospel. Verse 8 talks about fallen is Babylon the Great. Proclaiming this kind of sword-like gospel causes antichrist dominions and nations to fall. I got one more scripture. You guys got, you guys with me? Philippians 1, let's go there. Then I'm going to hand it over to my brother Judah. He's going to close this out. Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you could, if you could get any more convicted, then it would be that verse. <laughs> worthy of the gospel. My life worthy of the gospel. Are you serious? Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. It matters where you're standing. It matters where you put your feet, brothers and sisters. It matters what you're standing on. If you're standing in the middle of the kingdom, separate from the world, or if the kingdom was there and you once were standing there and you're just kind of drifting a little bit toward the world, just kind of drifting, seeing what it feels like, what it tastes like, seeing what the world's like a little bit more. Purify. Purify from the world tonight. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved 
and that by God. When you proclaim boldly, unashamedly the name of the Lord, God's judgments actually come to the earth right there. The judgments of God from heaven fall right there in front of you. You're doing his work. In verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. I know after Peyton's word that you guys haven't forgotten that granted salvation comes with granted suffering, comes with granted adversity, and they have to go together. They go hand in hand, side by side. You can never separate them out. I'm going to give this over to my brother Judah. He's going to preach for us. Amen. You guys still awake? You with us? You ready to face adversity and cleanse your life of the world? I'm very happy to be back in my church. Can I tell you what an amazing honor it was to be traveling with these men, working to preach the gospel and advance his kingdom around the world? I love Brother Treister over there. I like to go in the prison with him because something of his attitude's like mine. He likes to pick a fight. I will tell you, when you pick a fight by yourself, it's one thing. It's another one you know that you have a brother on your left and your right Amen. that the enemy doesn't know about yet. And then when you have a man like Bosch or Eric Stevens with you, it might even make you walk a little cocky down a street that has been dominated by Islam for thousands of years. I'm going to tell you that knowing that each of you were praying for us around the clock, that the unity of God was being installed here and you were being led by men like Wade Sutherland and Matthew Pirro, it stirred something up in us on this trip. To know that the heavens above are watching what we were doing, man, it made us want to pick a fight with the hordes of hell. This was quite the trip. Just like any trip, you stretch out, you wonder whether it was going to be in vain or God would move. I want to tell you that he moved this trip. Turn with me to Revelation 2.13. We're going to pick up in one of my favorite parts of the trip. Say there when you're there. Revelation 2, the 13th verse. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Come on, man. I don't know where you're living, but Satan in your backyard, that's kind of a special thing for God to say that. We got to go stand there. John Booth, do you have a picture for us? Standing in Pergamum, we found something. Out in a field somewhere, we found this foundation. You see those couple of stones sticking out from under that bush? 1930, the last church in Pergamum was leveled. It was right after the revolution that took the Ottoman Empire into the Turkish Republic that we know today. Take a hard look at that. That's all that remains of the people of God inside of Pergamum. There is no other Christian presence that we know of. And it is the place that God said Satan has set up his throne. Now, you might think that it's just a euphemism, that we're just describing the spiritual force that was there, that it's at work everywhere. All I can tell you is that every member of our trip that is spirit-filled and been traveling the world for quite some time Hair was on end as we were getting close to this place. 
It's a little bitty town. It's about the size of Port Lavaca. It's 20, 30,000 people. You would never think that there's any spiritual significance to this place today. And just at random, we came across the very last church there. I'm going to tell you that these seven churches will live again. I can feel resurrection coming out of that foundation right now. Do you have a little resurrection coming out of your soul tonight? Are you awake? Yeah. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. Actually, let's go to Book of Numbers. Peyton got covered Deuteronomy and did a fantastic job. Can you tell that we love Moses? Let's go to Deuter uh, Numbers 31. We all owe a great debt to Moses. Something that I learned from his life. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Peyton just talked about that, how his disciple went in with him. In Numbers 31, we see how God ordains Moses' death. What his life looked like at the very end. I want to live a life like Moses. I want to die like Moses. First verse. The Lord said to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites, after that, you will be gathered to your people. <laughs> I started rolling when I listened to this. Go take vengeance on the Midianites. Then you may die, Moses. <laughs> You're not allowed to die until you have accomplished the will of God in your life. Moses, the hero, the lawgiver. God says, go take vengeance on your enemies. Then I'll put you in the ground. I tell you, if you're going to go out, you better go out swinging. If you're going to die, you better go out facing that beast. I tell you that we stood in Pergamon, the place where God says that Satan has set up his throne, and we got to stare the beast in the face. I want to stare the enemy in the face tonight, and I want to cut him down with that sword that divides bone and marrow. I want to look at adversity in the face and say, is that all you got? The foundation that is Jesus Christ is not gone yet. It may be a little disguised. It may be buried. Islam may have tried to drown it out, but that foundation is still there, waiting for someone to build on it. Moses went out facing his enemy. He stared the Midianites in the face and said, I may die, but you're going down with me tonight. He had a disciple, and we talked about Joshua 1, what that disciple did. Turn with me to Joshua 8. Can you tell that Monday night Bible studies consistently affect us? In Joshua, in Joshua 8, let's pick up in the 18th verse. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward I the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin towards I. See the 19th verse. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose up quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. Joshua, the disciple of Moses, when he loses a battle, he gets a little beat up by the men of Ai. He gets back up on his feet. And you know, the first thing he does is he picks up his weapon that is the word of God, that is his battle plan, and he stares the king of Ai in the face. I tell you that you staring that beast in the face tonight sets a challenge to the enemy. Daniel, will you come stand up with me for a moment? Look at this handsome guy. It's a model for next door painting. 
the enemy is like the king of Ai. He thinks because he's pushed on you once or twice before and gotten you to fall, that he's going to rush right back in and get it. But look at Daniel. Daniel is a man filled with the Spirit of God, and he's powerful. He's immovable. When he realizes the schemes of the enemy and he's looking me in the face, do you think I'm going to push Daniel around so easily? Do you think that I'm going to push this man around? No. Go sit down. It's time to stare our problems in the face. It's time to look at that beast that has been beating on you and take a sword to it and go live for righteousness. It's time to go after the call of God. You know what the king has promised you. Don't let a condemned hound keep you from your promise. All he can do is call out to you what the world used to be like. I don't have the power to push that man around, and I tell you, the power of hell has no hold on you when you care nothing for it. Is there still some DCDs in the room? Pick up your sword and stare the king of eye in the face tonight. Let's keep moving. Let's go to Ezekiel 38. I wonder if it's just an isolated incident or if a lot of men of God stood, stared the enemy in the face. Let's pick up in the first verse of Ezekiel 38. We've been doing a little eschatological research lately. It's kind of crazy how much stuff seems to go down in Turkey. In Ezekiel 38, as soon as I get there, we pick up with a prophecy against Gog, is what the chapter header says. Gog and Magog are also in Turkey. Every Bible atlas of Isaiah's day, Ezekiel's day, will tell you that. Go spend some time reading about it. It's really interesting. Let's pick up in the first verse. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Prophesy against him. Now I know that this is a prophecy about something that's going to happen in the future, and Ezekiel actually did it. But reading about this and hearing these names that are in Turkey, and he says, set your face on it. Set your face against the place where Satan has set up his throne. Couldn't help but take that as a personal challenge. Amen. What promise, what task has God set your life to be directly against, going after, set like flint for Set your face against the enemy. Do it tonight. Don't let yourself be moved off of those promises. I tell you, we've taken beating the last three months. But I intend on going out swinging if I go out. Amen. And if I go down, we're going to get up and pick up our weapon and stare the king of eye in the face. Amen. Keep in mind that some of these powers are going on in Turkey. Gog, Magog, where Satan has set up his throne. It's kind of an interesting thing. In Psalm 83, we're not going to turn there, but it lists all of these nations again. Psalm 83 lists the Edomites, lists the places that will be Gog, Magog. It also lists the Midianites that Moses dealt with. And in Psalm 83, just put the fourth verse on the screen. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against you, O Gog, Meshach, and Tubal. Psalm 83. Come, they said, let us destroy them as a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Each of these nations hate Israel. They always have. They always will. They're still hating Israel in opposition to them. And I'll tell you the truth, most of those men have no idea why. They just know that, of course, they hate Israel. Jews are bad. They have never met a Jew. They don't know what a Jew looks like, and yet they hate them. There is a spiritual force that is brooding on this side of the planet that is wishing to destroy the people of God. And I tell you, there will never be peace 
It doesn't matter what the political climate looks like. It doesn't matter what savior president we have. Something will always be brooding right here. Hey, if you know an enemy is going to fight, I got to know the kind of man and elder that Steve is. If Steve knows that you're going to pick a fight, that somebody is brooding, that is always going to want to fight, he's not going to wait till you hit him. He's not going to wait until he's been punched in the mouth. Steve will go get you. He'll drag you down. He'll beat on you. If he realizes that this man's going to be a problem, he'll find you a promise. When we know the enemy schemes, that something is going to be growing and growing and growing that wishes to destroy the people of God, that wishes to destroy your life, steal and kill your children, are we going to wait until it hits you in the mouth or are you going to go after it? Come on, let's go after it tonight. Let's look for an opportunity to hit the enemy before he has gotten a chance to hit you. When you wake up tomorrow, go stare that beast in the face. Put it to death in your own life and then look for a chance to put it to death in somebody else's life. Let's not wait for these enemies to come hunt us down. We are the men of God. Go search it out. Look for an opportunity to put his kingdom to death here in Texas. Because I promise, he's got little thrones set up all over the place. He's got them set up in a lot of people's lives right now. You know, in a lot of cartoons, you have a devil on one side and an angel on the next. This is ridiculous. And... It's strangely ironic how much that represents most of the so-called Christian body. We want to hold on to a little bit of the world and a little bit of the kingdom of this world. We've been to that church too. It's called Laodicea. They wanted to hold on to hot and cold, and God said he would spit them out of his mouth. I tell you, it's not just enough to add a little Jesus to your life. You need to put that enemy to death. Put him to death. Get him out of your ear, and then go after the kingdom of God. Luke 16, 16 says that men must enter into the kingdom by force. They lay hold of it. Luke 13, 32, it's one of my favorite passages. It says, you go tell that fox I will press on today, tomorrow, and, to, and I will reach my goal. Yes. In Pizar, that place where we got to meet Cesar and his friends, after speaking with Cesar the next day, he invited us to come sit at a table that was uh, a high school reunion of sorts. They had... From the same town, they spread out all over Turkey looking for jobs, but on once a year at a holiday, they come back and meet each other at the place where they grew up. They tell you, these are men of force. They're like Texans, if I've ever seen any in Turkey. It's got shirt buttoned down to about here. We nicknamed one of them the Lumberjack. They all carry around pistols. I tell you, with men like these, when they get born again, yeah. we'll take Turkey. We'll take turkey with men who are willing to be forceful and stare that beast in the face. What is God calling you to take tonight? It was interesting. When we came to eat with them, they wanted to know if we had the same proud prejudice as their imams. They said, look, uh, our imams won't, won't drink anything with us. They, they, they get nervous about these kind of meetings. They, they don't like to hang out with guys. We said, no, we're nothing like your imams. We don't have a form of godliness and deny its power. We are filled with its power, and we're not concerned about the mere appearances of things. So we sat, and I had a drink of rakia with them, and then we talked about the gospel for three hours. Something began to stir up inside of their souls that was different than just rote rules and religion. Amen. We're going to come find these men again. And I promise those seeds will bear good fruit.
Let's put Revelation 2.10 on the screen. We got a chance to listen to Stanley Albert Dale's works while we were in Turkey. This was his epitaph. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is what is required of all of us. Say it with me. I'm going to face that beast. I will get a crown of life. I will get a crown of life. At the end of the days, there is not going to be an award ceremony that says, well believed, my good little Baptist. It's going to be, you did the will of God or you did not. We're going to be men who do the will of God, who faced the beast in their life and took that crown. Let's put Romans 4 on the screen. Romans 4, the 19th verse. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Who are we talking about? Talking about the father of the faithful here. It says he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He didn't pretend that he didn't have problems. He didn't act as if God had already done it. He faced the fact. He faced that beast. And I tell you, that man was faithful to the end. When we think about the armor of God in Ephesians, what is the shield? Is your shield spotless tonight? Or is your shield a little burned and beaten? I tell you, it is not supposed to stay spotless and pretty. These last three months have left our shields a little beat up. But you know what? That's what they were for. Your faith is meant for war. Your faith is meant for war. What has your faith been like these last few months? Are you allowing it to be tested? I tell you, if you've been watching on the outside and you really don't know what's been going on the last few months, all I have to say is, don't worry, little brother, there's more. Like Joseph, you can go get some iron in your soul if you would like. Pray to God that he might pour out some adversity upon your life because it teaches us to do good things. It might even purify you found that the most wicked things that I've ever done have been when I was idle and not at war with the enemy. If you're struggling for purity, if cowardice has overwhelmed you, or you're just comfortable with the pride of life, I know a cure for it. Pick up that field, that shield, and let the fire of the enemy burn it, and you depend upon your God and go after it like the father of the faithful did. Abraham's shield was not turned in perfect or pristine. I don't intend on turning in my lungs or my shield perfect and pristine at the end of this. Let's keep going. If Abraham had to face his enemy, if Moses had to face his enemy, if the man in the Old Testament whose name means Jesus had to face his enemy, what do you think you have to do tonight? Let's go to 1 John 2. I'm getting there. Be patient with me. Where's little Kelsky? Is he in the room? He was telling me the other day that one of his favorite words is a message called young men. I happen to agree with him. It was an excellent word. We're going to pick up in the 12th verse. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Sound booth, could we put that uh, image back on the screen and leave it up? I write to you, dear children, 
because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. This is a foundation. We each have a responsibility to turn that foundation into something that is a monument to the heavens. I know that Christ, through the pastors that are in this room, has laid a good foundation in your life. But the thing is, I have seen a lot of foundations over this last two weeks. You know, the Dome of the Rock is sitting on top of a foundation that Solomon himself laid. The stones in it are unlike anything I've ever seen. They are unique. They're perfectly cut. They're set completely square. And yet some ugly monstrosity has been built on top of it. In this city, I've seen many foundations that started in some kind of purity or truth and have quite the ugly steeple on top of it now. This foundation represents something that God laid, spoke about, and we failed to transition from sons, from children, into young men. We're going to keep reading through 1 John 2. We're going to talk about how generational ministry must occur. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. We had quite the blessing on the strip to have Gabriel with us. He's been sharing some amazing words with me. He's learning to become a man who overcomes the evil one. We also had fathers in the face with us. From start to finish in this spectrum, we had men with us on this trip. You don't simply become a father in the faith by growing old in the faith. You have to produce. The only way that we transition through this is by continuing to face the beast again and again and again until you overcome the evil one. And when you overcome the evil one, you begin to produce righteous fruit in your life. I'm going to ask you, are you still behaving like a child in the faith? Are you old in the faith and yet sterile? What happens when God lays a wonderful, perfect, cut foundation and we do not face the beast that is Islam, that is your sinful nature, that is the power of this world, is that. Take a hard look at that. That was a thriving church at one point. What is your heart like this evening? Has God laid something good that you have allowed weeds to grow up in and out of? My brother spoke on cleansing and purity. About that word of God that should be cutting you free. I'm telling you, saints, pick up your sword tonight. Go to work. It's time to face that beast. Tell you, these seven churches, the devil thinks that he has them in his hand. But the book of Revelation says that my God holds them in his hand. So whose job is it to go recover them? It is our job to go recover them. Can you pick a fight with the devil and win? Can you pick a fight and win? We're going to take captives from the fierce. We're going to take it from the fierce in our own lives, in every country that we go to, in your workplace, in your families. Where, when you leave here, are you going to face that beast and take a captive from the fierce? Have you been held back? Have you been scared? Have you been apathetic? How are you going to cut it apart? If a moment at the altar does that, fantastic. But what we're looking for is men who will clear a foundation and build something that is standing the test of time and pleasing before our God. Amen?
on just a couple final notes. We want not only to let this be a mission strip kind of attitude. As you sit here, as you begin to contemplate the fine words that these guys spoke, is there adversity that you need to lean into, that you need to begin to look for, that you have shunned or prayed that God might spare you from? Is there an area of your life that has become mixed with the world and you've taken back something that you originally were free from, that you had let go of? Are you a child in the faith and you need to overcome? If you have been battle-tested the last three months and you have proven that your shield of faith has been tested in fire, say, congratulations, welcome to the kingdom. Make up your mind now that as we go into worship, that as these guys lead us, as we hand off to the pastors, that what he has destined for you to accomplish, you will do when you leave here. Now, if there's a tie with family members that you need to make, if you have attachments that are not of God, if it's money, if it's fear, is there a coworker you need to stand up and talk to tomorrow? Don't let that moment slip by you. Make up in your mind and your heart that you're going to obey it when you stand. And not only will we face the beast, but we will see the beast driven out of Turkey, driven out of your own life, and the kingdom of God ushering into this place. Let's stand to your feet, and let's begin to worship our king in the way that he deserves. Let's go after it. If you should need to do something while we worship, if there's a moment that you need to have or prayer from a pastor that you need, don't wait. Go after it and make up your mind to put it into practice when you leave here with deeds. Because I know the calling that is on the men of God in this room. I see heads of households. I see mighty fighting men. Set your face like flint. Go take back what the enemy has stolen. Rob the pits of hell. And bring back something to the kingdom of God today. Bring it back to him because he surely deserves that glory. I believe that the king deserves our glory and our deeds tonight.